Scripture today is Mark 10, verses 1 through 9. And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What, therefore, God has joined together, let not man separate. Good morning. I always loved, as a young boy, the Christmas season. About a month ahead of time, we would start the anticipation. I'm one of six kids, and we'd get excited about what was coming. Not just the presents, though that was part of it, but it was the excitement, the lights, the family meals together the fun, the joy of the great food, the family, all of it wrapped up in one. I I remember just feeling this sense of wonder, this sense of awe, this sense of excitement, of anticipation. And then as I began to get older, I began to lose a lot of that wonder and awe. You know, I was too sophisticated, right? Too grown up now. I had other things to think about, you know, what presents I would get, but also what presents I had to give. And then there's always the hassle of putting the lights up. And, you know, you plug them in and they work and you put them on and they don't. (laughs) That's part of the tarnishing of Christmas over time. All of a sudden, there's responsibilities. There's things going on that you have to take care of. And now, you know, I know too much. I have too many responsibilities. And you begin to lose that sense of wonder and awe. So all of Christmas becomes tarnished after a time because we're too grown up. We won't be fooled by all of that. We're, we're too, we have too many important things to deal with. Well, today in our passage, there's a discussion about divorce, as you've just heard. But I don't think that's the real point of this passage. I think what we see is a contrast between the simple, awestruck, wonder-filled faith of a child, as we'll see, and the hard-hearted religion of the Pharisees that focuses on rules. You see, the Pharisees were too grown up. They had too many responsibilities. They weren't about to get caught up in the awe and the wonder. They weren't about to be fooled by an upstart nobody like Jesus, who happened to be the creator of the universe standing right in front of them, but they were too sophisticated to see it. So the question for us this morning is, how healthy is my heart? How healthy is your heart? (laughs) I've had health problems, and I've had a couple of angiograms along with a multitude of other tests. 
all designed to try to figure out and diagnose what's going on in your heart, in my heart system. So let today be a kind of a spiritual angiogram, okay? As we look at this passage together, let's consider our own hearts, the condition of our hearts, and whether we have a hard heart like the Pharisees that tends to miss what God's doing right in front of us, or a childlike heart full of awe and wonder and trust like Jesus wants us to have. Lord, as we come together as your people, your children today, we admit we, we seldom act like the children you want us to with a simple faith. We get caught up in being responsible, maintaining control, keeping the rules. And so today, let your spirit diagnose what's in our hearts so we might bring our hearts to you and have them be filled again with wonder. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So it begins this passage with a test. How many of you like tests? I know there's a few of you that do, yeah. <laughs> Most of us don't, okay? But it begins with a tax. It tests. It, well, first, he, he says he left there, went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. Okay, so he's out of Israel, beyond the Jordan, the other side of the Jordan River, which is significant, as we'll see in a moment. And there, crowds gathered to him. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. I just want to highlight that a little bit. It's not part of the main part of the text, but it's important, I think. It's significant. Jesus did what was his custom, which was to teach, to teach the truth. You see, the word of God is powerful. That's why here at Cole, we we just try to open up the word and teach through verses, teach through paragraphs, teach through books of the Bible, because we believe in the power of God's word. And Jesus did Two, he let it do its work as he taught. But the question is, what did Jesus teach? What was he teaching at this particular event? We, we're not told. We're not told what his topic was, but we know pretty well what Jesus taught because we have a lot of examples of that, right? And his main topic, as we see through the Gospels, was the kingdom of God. Jesus loved to teach about the fact that the kingdom was here. In his presence, the kingdom is near. It's in your midst. And this kingdom is a whole new way to relate to God. This is a way to not have to live by rules, but an opportunity to live in relationship with him, receiving his forgiveness and his life, living in his love, living in this new covenant, being reconciled to the father and living out our life in him. This is the new kingdom of God. So Jesus talked about things like, I'm the bread of life. Come to me and feed on me and then live out the new life I've given you. I'm the light of the world. You want to know truth? Come to me. I'm the source of wisdom and light and life. I'm the vine. You are the branches. Live off of me. Cling to me. Depend on me. Find life in me. And then you will bear fruit. These are the kinds of things he was teaching. 
And in the midst of all that wonderful teaching meant to change lives and draw us to the kingdom of God, the Pharisees showed up. (laughs) And surprisingly enough, they're not listening. (laughs) Says they came up and in order to test him, all right, let's test this guy. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Now, we're told right away this was not an honest question. This wasn't something that they were wrestling with in their relationship with God. This was in order to test Jesus, to get him in trouble. The word for test there is the same one that's used of Satan when he tempts us or tempted Jesus. It's, it's this temptation to draw you away from what God is doing. It's a temptation to get you off track. And that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get Jesus in trouble. How are they trying to do that? Well, a couple of ways, I think. One, remember, they're across the Jordan. Who got in trouble across the Jordan? John the Baptist. What did he get in trouble for? Why did he get arrested? Because he condemned the divorce of Herodias from her husband Philip and the remarriage to Herod Antipas. And when he declared that their divorce and remarriage were invalid... He was arrested and eventually beheaded. So you can see what the Pharisees are doing here, right? In the same place where John got into trouble, they're hoping Jesus says something about divorce that gets him in trouble as well. And hopefully will get him beheaded. But that's getting them, him in trouble with the Romans. I think they were also trying to get him in trouble with the Jews, right? Because the issue of divorce was a controversial subject in religious circles in their day, just as it is in ours. There's a Mishnah quote I want to read for you. The Mishnah was the written-down oral tradition. This was considered authoritative, essentially a commentary on the Torah. And here's what it says. The school of Shammai, one of the rabbis, say, a man may not divorce his wife unless he has found unchastity in her. That is... Adultery. For it is written, because he hath found in her indecency in anything. So emphasizing the word indecency from this quote from the Old Testament, the limit is here adultery only. The school of Hillel say he may divorce her even if she spoiled a dish for him. (laughs) If she's a bad cook, in other words. For it's written, because he hath found in her indecency in anything, right? So you emphasize a different word, you get a different result, the law is different, you draw the line differently. Rabbi Akaba says, well, even if she found, if he found another fairer than she, I kind of like her a little better than this, my wife, you can divorce. For it is written, and it shall be if she find no favor in his eyes. In other words, they were wrangling about words. They were trying to figure out where the line is, and there were huge differences in what was allowable considering in divorce as they looked and tried to figure out what the Bible had to say and what God's rules were. And so the Pharisees were caught up in trying to figure out these rules so they would know the exact line they could come up to and still have God's blessing. It's a whole way they were approaching the word of God. But Jesus turns it around. Notice what his question is. He answered them, what did Moses command you? 
What did Moses command you? Why does Jesus go here? Well, Jesus is trying to get them to actually look at the Bible, (laughs) the Old Testament, to see what it really says, because actually Moses doesn't command divorce. The only place in the Torah, in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament, the divorce is even mentioned is in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. And that's what they're quoting here. That's what the rabbis were quoting. But if you look closely at Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, really all it says about divorce is this. Don't use divorce for your own personal gain. That's essentially the message of it. What it says is, if a man is married and he divorces his wife, She goes and marries someone else, and then they get divorced. She cannot come back and marry her first husband. That would be an abomination. Now, why is that? Well, I think that section of Deuteronomy has to do with the Ten Commandments, the one that says, do not steal. I think this is what was going on. This original husband and wife were running a con game. You see... They would divorce, she would marry someone else, and then she would divorce him, go back to her first husband, and take half of the second husband's resources. It was a way to make money. And so Moses says, don't use divorce for your own gain. That would be an abomination to use it in that way. And that's all it says about divorce. There's nothing else in the Pentateuch about that. But the Pharisees camped on this one obscure passage to wrangle over words, build a whole theology of divorce out of it. And their attitude was this. Marriage is essentially a disposable contract. I make a commitment to you, but you know what? If it's not working out, let's get a divorce. I can divorce you. Now, where you drew the line, obviously, as I read, was different, but that was the attitude of all of them, really. It's a disposable contract. It's just a question about where the line is to make sure that you don't go over it so you still have God's blessing. I just need to know what the limit is, what the rule is. And I'm afraid that too many of us today as believers in the church have come up with the same attitude. This is the spirit of our age. Marriage is a disposable contract. I I committed to you as long as it's working out, but if it doesn't work out any longer, then I can go my own way. I just want to know what the rule is so I'll still have God's blessing. And I think what Jesus is trying to say is this is a dangerous way to approach the Bible and to approach God, not just with divorce, but in general. It's a wrong way to divorce to approach God. Well, the Bible does give clear guidelines that we should not cross because it will cause damage and harm. There are guidelines, yes, but those guidelines are meant to drive us to a deeper love for God and a deeper obedience to the person of Jesus Christ, not focusing on the rules. Many have come to me and said, Do I have biblical grounds for divorce or not? Those who come to me in that way are usually asking the wrong question, I believe. That's not what we should be focusing on. Where's the limit? 
so I can still have God's blessing. So Jesus goes on to diagnose what's going on in the Pharisees' hearts as they approach him in this way, as they test him, as they bring up this divorce question to try to get him in trouble. And Jesus said in verse 5, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. Not a commandment, but he wrote this in the law. He diagnoses the Pharisees' problem. It is a hard heart, he says. Now, some of you have arterial sclerosis, <laughs> hardening of the arteries, arterial artery sclerosis, hardening. Well, the words in Greek here are sclerocardia, hardening of the heart. A hard heart is one that, like the Pharisees, is focused on rules, on figuring it all out. It's a heart that's too smart to be taken in by somebody like Jesus. It's a heart that says, I'm going to figure out the rules, put myself above the rules, essentially. I will not be taken in by an unsophisticated person like Jesus, who just happens to be Lord and creator of the universe, standing right in front of them, and they don't get it. You see, their spiritual arteries have gotten so narrowed, they're unable to see God in front of them and to hear the truth when he teaches it right in front of them. They're dying and they don't even know it. So Jesus, in his grace, tries to give them a whole different way of looking at marriage and this whole divorce question. In verses 6 through 9, as he describes marriage in this incredibly beautiful way that God created it from the very beginning, as he quotes Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, God's design for marriage Marriage, he says, is a lifelong covenant, a work of God joining a man and a woman together. God created marriage to be this glorious union of two different genders, male and female, coming together to make a more complete whole. And let me just say that definitely excludes same-sex marriage because that's not ever God's design. God's design is taking two other, two different genders, putting them together. Because why? Because God is three persons in one in the Trinity. And we're told that marriage reflects that incredible mystery as two that are different come together. And God, in a mysterious way, makes them one that reflects the very nature of God. So Jesus is trying to get them beyond this, I've got a contract with you, and if it's not working out, I need a way out. How can I get out of it? To, wow, God is doing something incredible in our marriage. There's something bigger here. There's a mystery that God is at work in, and he puts them together and draws us together and unites us at the very center of our souls. That's Jesus's view of marriage. Marriage is glorious, and it's a God's work. So why even Look for a way out if you have that perspective. You see, Jesus is not here giving a treatise on divorce. He talks about it more fully elsewhere, as does Paul. But that's not his point here. The Bible does give us some guidelines about divorce and remarriage. And it does because if we overstep those boundaries, there will be 
severe and difficult consequences in our lives. But God's will for marriage is that it be permanent. I'm not going to spend time talking about the whole deal of what the scriptures say about divorce, because again, I don't think that's the main point of this passage. But we do here at Cole believe there's just two exemptions, two exceptions to the the you shall not divorce. One is if there's adultery. Another is if an unbelieving spouse chooses to leave. But that doesn't mean you're commanded to divorce. It means we hope that God can put it back together. We have guidelines for separation, divorce, and remarriage in the back that the elders have worked hard on. And you're welcome to pick one up if you want more specifics about what we believe. But I just want to read a paragraph from the preface here where it's, we write, These guidelines represent our understanding of the biblical teaching on the subjects of separation, divorce, and remarriage. However, these guidelines are not intended to form a checklist by which someone determines if divorce is a biblically approved option. Our goal and desire is for each person to come before God broken and open to lay his or her life at God's disposal and to seek his specific will in their marriage. This needs to be accomplished in the context of Christian community for accountability and encouragement in submission to God's word. If your marriage is in trouble, talk to someone, an elder, a pastor, a lay leader, a mature Christian friend here in the body. Let the body help. We are in this together. That's our heart for marriage because we believe that's God's heart for marriage. To see it as something bigger and beyond ourselves. So in verse 9, Jesus says this. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. He's saying because this is God's work, don't mess it up. Don't break it apart. When it says God, what God has joined together, the words there, the background of that word for joined is yoked together. And to me, I think that's a, actually a beautiful picture of what marriage is designed to be. It's two that make a commitment, a covenant together. Leave your father and mother, cleave to one another, and you become one. But, but God works in a way that he steps in. He brings us together. He yokes us together. And what is a yoke for? It's so two oxen, two animals can be joined together so they can move in the same direction to do the same work together. And marriage is meant to be a team where we live out the kingdom of God. We live out how our marriage is meant to be used for the kingdom of God to reflect Him, to love others, to reach out, to build the kingdom of God. So Jesus' point is, don't separate, don't break up what God is doing. It's so much deeper than this contract between one person and another. So don't look for a way out of your marriage. If you do, you're, look, you're missing the whole point. A hard heart says, a pharisaical heart says, where's the line here? Because I want out. The pain's too great. It's too much of a struggle. We're not doing well. I need a way out. A soft heart says, how can I best trust Jesus and be Christ to my spouse, even in this difficult marriage? How can the kingdom of God be lived out 
through my heart and my life, even if my spouse isn't responding well? How can God be glorified by my response here? I think we need to ask ourselves, where are we in our marriages if we are married? So the big picture is not, what do I need to do to get out of this pain? Rather, it's, how can I live out my faith in Christ in the midst of this difficult situation? Because when you persevere, we're told in Scripture very clearly, it changes you. When you cut and run, you miss out on what God wants to do in your own heart. And when you show grace when it's not deserved to your spouse, it changes other people. Maybe your spouse, but certainly others. And when you commit and you are faithful in your marriage, it glorifies God. You see, there's so much more going on than just what you're experiencing. Then in verse 10 through 12, Jesus talks to the disciples. And notice what he adds. In the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. The disciples are like, whoa, Jesus, this is a whole different view of marriage, divorce. Explain some things here. And Jesus said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Notice whether he divorces or she divorces Either way, it says there's adultery that results. Why does Jesus bring this up? I think he's saying for us, it's a reminder that choosing divorce always leads to further sin, further consequences, further devastation. The ripples go out. There's more brokenness, more spiritual harm done to ourselves and others when we harden our hearts and say, I just want out. A hard heart looks for rules to get what's best for me and ends up doing more harm is what Jesus is saying in the long run. Now, I know every one of us sitting here can say, well, but some marriages are so bad. Divorce is the best option. Well, again, I think if you're if if you're looking at it from the wrong way, you could say that. If it's all about your happiness, your comfort, then yes, that seems to make sense, to make your life easier. But is divorce the best option for the kingdom of God, for your own soul before God, for reflecting his love and persevering character that loves us to the very end and never gives up? Is divorce the best option when there are bigger things at stake than our own happiness? I'm not saying marriage is easy. It's hard. And let me say, if you're in an abusive marriage, there are good reasons to separate, to get out of that so there can begin to be some healing and, Lord willing, that there can be a reconciling in the long run. But may we begin to take on God's perspective and see that marriage is far more than just my hurt or my pain, that God is doing a work here and what God has joined together for the kingdom of God in deeper ways than we can ever understand. Let man not separate, Jesus says. So he's challenging the Pharisees about their hard hearts, but now he goes on in this next section to give us a picture of a childlike heart, which is the kind of heart Jesus wants us to have. Verse 13, 
through 16. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. So the disciples are caught up in the, in the Pharisaical mindset. Hey, get these children out of here. They don't matter. You know, we're too sophisticated for that. <laughs> but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. The word means angry at the disciples and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands upon them. I think Jesus, Mark put these two sections together now to give us a picture of the kind of heart that Jesus wants us to have. A childlike heart is, first of all, vulnerable. Think about these children. They're vulnerable. They need our help. They can't function on their own. And they can be hindered or not. So Jesus says, hey, free them up to come to me. I want them to come to me. Children are not controlling, but they're open and vulnerable. They don't run the show. They're under the care of others. James Edwards, the commentator, says this. To receive the kingdom of God as a child is to receive it as one who has no credit, no clout, no claims. Think about how different, different this is than the hard heart of the Pharisees where no one's going to fool me. I'm in control. I... No, a child comes with, with childlike wonder and says, yeah, I'm just trusting you to take care of me because I need you to. Secondly, a childlike heart owns the kingdom, he says. The kingdom of God, he says, belongs to such as these. What does that mean? Well, I think what it's saying is that if you have a childlike heart, then you live in the wonder of the kingdom of God. You, you are part of the kingdom of God. You're looking to the king, the Lord. And you're saying, he's going to take care of me. I'm one of his subjects. I'm just following him. And life is all about looking to the king and resting in your relationship with him. Yesterday, several of us went, Josh and his family, and then we took another granddaughter, and Jeannie and I, and we went and cut a Christmas tree way up in the mountains. And we're digging through the snow that's about 18 inches deep, and the kids are, little girls are trying to plow through that, and they're falling in the snow, and we just had a marvelous time. It was great. <laughs> And you know, those little girls, I didn't hear them say things like, gee, are, are we going to get enough to eat for lunch? <laughs> uh, I wonder if the car is going to start. What if we can't get out because the car gets stuck? Well, we did get both cars stuck. Okay. <laughs> but they didn't seem particularly worried about that. They kind of trusted that we would get out. Um, you know what? They just had a blast. They just played in the snow and fell in it, and we had snowball fights, and we got wet, and we just had a great day, and they weren't worried about all that other stuff. They lived in the wonder and the trust of their parents and grandparents. Oh, if we could only get a grasp on that in our relationship with Jesus. Jesus live in that wonder and that joy of his care. And then Jesus says, a childlike heart receives the kingdom as a gift. Only those who receive the kingdom as a child will enter it. 
interesting. If you don't come this way, you don't come at all, he says. And how does a child receive the kingdom? He says, as a gift. Wow! This is the best Christmas gift ever! I've got redemption. I've got life. He's redeemed me. He loves me. He died for me. And, And they live in the wonder of that gift. Hey, this is awesome. Let's open it and let's live in this reality of this new gift. I want to value this gift. It's precious. I want to live it out to the fullest. It's that heart of trust and delight in what Jesus has done for us rather than getting so caught up in, oh man, am I doing the right thing? Am I following the rules? You know, how, what if God isn't, what if he's mad at me, etc., etc.? That's That's a hard heart that just gets confused and lost. A childlike heart sees a relationship with Jesus as a wonderful gift to be treasured. And they long for the kingdom of God to come in its fullness. And then finally, verse 16, as you see the children come and Jesus embraces them. A childlike heart delights in your relationship with Jesus above all else. Oh, guess what? I love it when my granddaughters, when I walk in the door, Papa! And they ran up and hugged me. Oh, how we delight the heart of God when that's our heart's attitude. Papa, (laughs) wow. Joy in life comes not from having the perfect marriage. None of us do. Following the rules, everything going well, or etc. Joy comes from being close to Jesus in the midst of a messy, painful, difficult life and seeing my relationship with him as the most important thing in my life. It's the gift of gifts. So this morning, how healthy is your heart? Are you and I like the Pharisees, skeptically looking for the rules to follow, trying to figure it out so we stay in control and make sure we're okay and it's all about us and what we're doing? Or are we learning to live in the wonder of joyful trust of the one who loves us, who knows us, who is caring for us, And wants us to live in the freedom to live our lives for the kingdom of God because he promises to care for us as a parent cares for their child. Are we living in the wonder of having marriages and jobs and friendships and ministry? Whatever we're doing in life where we're asking, Lord, help me to live out the fullness of the kingdom of God. May your spirit live through me because I want to live out Your love for me right where I am, in this marriage that's hard, in this job that's hard, in whatever, wherever we are. Let me live as one of your redeemed people to show the world that God's kingdom has come. I don't know about you, but I want to live with a childlike heart. Oh, Papa! (laughs) Let's pray. Lord, thank you for... This amazing passage that points us into our very hearts to ask, how are we living in relationship to you? We confess that we're too sophisticated, too grown up sometimes to live in the wonder of your love for us. May we become children. May our faith be childlike. May we trust you and find the wonder and joy and delight of knowing how much you love us and living accordingly. We pray in Jesus' name.
Amen.